to How Have You Not Seen That? My name is Crossman. I'm Charles. I'm Wilson. This is a podcast where we talk about films that we haven't seen. I think it's very easy to sort of gloss over the fact that you haven't seen something in, in conversation. And I think this is where we admit the gaps in, in our film catalog mm-hmm. and, and fulfill, fulfill them. Fulfill the promise. Uh, Wilson admitted last week that you haven't seen Gaslight. I assume none of us had seen it. Nope. Yeah, okay. okay. So we're all pretty fresh to this. Wilson, tell us about Gaslight. Yeah, I think this is likely a movie that a lot of people are aware of now and haven't seen. So I want that, that's why I picked it. It seems yeah. like something that's like very much in the cultural consciousness, yes. but also like remarkably unwatched. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what, what exactly is this movie? All right, so Gaslight uh, was made in 1944 based on a movie that came out in 1940 and a play that came out some period before that. Uh, it's directed by George Cukor. It stars Ingrid Bergman um, and Charles Boyer. It opens in London uh, with the Ingrid Bergman character as uh, her aunt who raised her having been murdered and Ingrid Bergman being rushed off to Italy to meet up with a singing instructor, apparently. Um, cuts to Italy. We learn that she's been there for a year to some... No, ten years. That was it. She's been there a while. Yeah. Um, and she has taken up with the, the Charles Boyle character. They've recently met. It's a tour of love affair. Um, and it's kind of the uh, a love of youth is what it seems like. But he's, he's a little bit older. Um, they get married relatively quickly, uh, move back to London, um, into the house where her aunt was killed at the Charles Boyle, Charles Boyle character's uh, request. I mean, at, at this point, um, he essentially starts torturing her. Uh, so he is <laughs> uh, he is uh, trying to drive her insane. Like, that's that's the crux of the movie. Um, and that's where, where the title comes from, that he is turning down the gas light for the gas light lighting in their early 20th century home. Um, she notices that the light is coming down, and he will deny that this is happening. Um, he will steal things from her that he's given her and to make her think that she has misplaced them um, and to embarrass her. He, he will, you know, start flirting with the maid um, so that the maid will not like her and she won't, won't understand why that is. So it's classic abuse techniques for any kind of emotionally abusive relationship. Uh, we learn towards the last third of the movie that the reason he's doing this is that he wants to uh, have her committed so that he can gain power of attorney and gain control of this house so that he can find the jewels that are hidden inside that, he, that were the reason he was the one that killed the ant at the beginning of the movie, looking for these jewels, um, which are uh, hidden up in the attic somewhere. Um, the, these escapades catch the attention of a Scotland Yard officer who essentially cracks the case, um, rescues Ingrid Bergman from the clutches of this, you know, maniacal jewel thief <laughs> and um, she has her moment at the end where she says oh I, I figured it out you've been abusing me all along but you won't get what you want and now you're going to go to English jail um, and that's <laughs> and that's uh, where the where the movie ends um, the this movie's claim to fame is very obviously the, the title um, mm-hmm. Gaslight has entered the common lexicon it just means when you're denying reality in order to make someone else question their own sanity or perception of reality, which is exactly what Charles Boyer is doing in this movie. Um, and that is more than anything else what the movie is known for. Mm-hmm. Um, it's largely driven by Ingrid Bergman, uh, which it was apparently a departure from the play and the movie that it was based on that was more driven by the husband character. Um, and that was the Cooper's insight was that it should be about Ingrid Bergman. Um, what do you guys think of it? I, this is a, a doozy. Yes. It was... This is a roller coaster. <laughs> yeah. um, it's 
it's weird. It's very of its time. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of like sort of like wooden stage acting, which I felt kind of distracted by. But I thought this was better than what was the other psychological torture movie that you chose? Yeah, Baby Baby. Jane. Yeah, this Uh, plays plays it a little straighter. Plays a lot straighter, and I think it benefits from that. Yeah, a lot. Um, I found this more compelling. It was like. More Hitchcockian. In yes, its, I agree. Like, like I think the thriller element is built up better, mm-hmm. and the fact that it's like the torture is a little more underhanded than Baby Jane, mm-hmm. I yeah. think makes They're not it like tossing her downstairs. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and the fact that it's like really only psychological torture, yes. I think works like really well. It's well also here. interesting to see yeah. it gradually take effect because you can mm. see what he's trying to do, and then you can see its see its effect on her over time as it yeah. gets worse and worse. Yes. And that was compelling. To yeah, see. whereas like a baby Jane is like immediately, yeah, like, it's like extreme torture. Here's yeah. a dead animal. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm in your room. This one builds in a way that's yeah. more sensible, right? And does seem like a good depiction of like domestic abuse, mm-hmm. uh, in like a real, but yeah, surprisingly realistic depiction of like domestic abuse, right? Because I mean, this yeah. movie would have would have been like the play predates this 1944 movie. Yeah. So it feels like in that era, a lot of the language that we have now for what's going on here simply wouldn't have existed. Mm-hmm. Like the, the concept yeah. of emotional abuse, right? Like probably really isn't a thing, right? Or, mm-hmm. or, or the concept of gaslighting itself obviously isn't, <laughs> yeah. isn't going to be present <laughs> here. Um, and so for the, for th- these filmmakers or playwrights, that's the case maybe, to identify all of that and like mm-hmm. draw it out in a way that rings still very true to yeah. to a modern audience um, is pretty exceptional. Like I was I was very surprised by that. Mm-hmm. Like how how honest it felt. What do you think of it, Charles? Uh, I appreciate what the movie was trying to do, but it felt like a very exhausting watch. Sure. Partly because of just the events transpiring on screen, I feel like I'm in the shoes of the Ingrid Bergman character being gaslighted. Yeah, and like or gaslit. Gaslit. Yeah. So like. <laughs> Part of it was like, I often forget a lot of things while I'm watching a movie, right? Mm-hmm. And so while they're playing with her memory, I'm like, wait, was I supposed to have seen that happen on screen? You're actually being gaslighted. Right? Like, wait, was I supposed to have caught that in a scene? Like, did they show the painting in a scene before right. this? Wait, was, when did, did you lose did, that brooch? Did that appear? Yeah. Uh, did they show the brooch being like transferred well, on screen? I think that's part of the reason why the movie works again better yeah. than the Baby Jane movie does. Because sure. like Baby Jane, you see... You see the torture, yeah. and here you only really see the results of like, like mm-hmm. you know that he's stealing, but you never like see him yeah. the sleight of hand. That yeah, it's kind of subtle in that respect, right? And I kind of like that because then, like, you are more in the shoes of the character. Yeah, and so I felt. Like, I mean, the movie is very claustrophobic in that for most of the movie, you're stuck in the house with Ingrid Bergman's character, mm-hmm. and so it, it felt very claustrophobic, right? And this contributed to the movie feeling so exhausting, and also just like I kind of disliked the Georgie is that his name Georgie Gregory the, Gregory the, the, uh, Charles uh, Boyer's character oh Charles yeah I yeah. kind of disliked his voice yeah. oh it's yeah, and it's, he talks a lot and he says Paula's name a lot yeah. and Hold that on. got really annoying well, it, because right? it's not exactly an English accent because he's French the actor is French yeah and the character is Italian no, he's Polish, right? Polish. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay, yeah. and then... Well, we when we meet him, we think he's Italian. Okay. But it turns out... Oh, yeah, you're right. The, the accent Polish. just straight up sounds French. So, yeah. like... So... <laughs> okay, so there you go. Yeah. You have this actual French guy yeah. who is speaking a foreign language, right? Who is very likely trained in English acting schools. Mm-hmm. 
pretending, playing a Polish character, pretending to be Italian, speaking English. Yeah. Right? Like, of course, you're going to end up with some sort of accent that is, like, Weird. totally, yeah, bizarre. Bizarre. Um, so maybe that, it, it feels like a choice on mm-hmm. Boyer's part. Um, but, yeah, he had a, a sound. The problem was that he talks a lot. Yes. Because he's trying to deceive her and he has to give these long stories, right? And I'm just like, I just want you to stop talking. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I just felt so like smothered by his voice, Mm -hmm. right? And that must be how she felt too, but it just, I wanted it to stop. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I agree that like he's, he has such a domineering presence on this movie, but to me it's effective. It's just like what the movie is about. Yeah. Yeah. But that made it not enjoyable to watch, unfortunately. That's fair. Yeah. The character the that really it. saved it for me was the uh, intrusive neighbor. <laughs> yes. Who oh, yeah. is self-described as a busybody. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, you know, what do you know she is? And she's like she's a great character. Yeah. Like she's like very intrusive and like very aware of like what's happening at their place and, like, yeah trying to get in and like, see like what's very happening vocal about it she, like, yeah. every time she finally happens across some rando she's yeah. just like what about what's going on in there yeah <laughs> like, pretty weird huh yeah and she's really into like the she wants like the racy details yes. of things she's like and a huge gossip she's clearly yeah. aware that like a murder had happened at that house and they're moving back into a murder she house, loves right? the fact that yeah. there was a murder in right. that house yeah. <laughs> i mean she reminded me yeah. of all those people that are like really into true crime podcasts Yes. Right. Like yes. This, you transport this woman to the modern era, and she's like super into serial mm-hmm. and, and shit like that. And it's like, okay, so I guess that that's she's like my favorite murder mystery. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. She's one of those listener. Yeah. Which is which is funny. I, I guess it works out then that Angela Lansbury is in the movie too. Murder yeah. she wrote. Right. There you go. Um, her screen debut. Speaking of like strange accents, like I thought she sounded Australian in this one. Cockney. But no, she's not yeah, she's Australian. She's like a lower class mm-hmm. English person. Okay. Yeah. It sounded Australian to me. It was no, yeah, so strange. It's, it's meant to identify her as like a very low okay. class like working person. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. right. Which is how the character is portrayed. Like she's a maid. She's like going to go date this police officer. Yeah. Yeah. She's kind of uppity. Sure. <laughs> like that's yeah. what that's about. Um, let's talk about Ingrid Bergman though. Because uh, yep. she carries this movie. And I think that she is great. She's absolutely oh, fantastic here. What do you guys think of, think of Bergman? I think she gets better later in the film. Okay. I think earlier in the film, I found her to be like pretty wooden. And I, honestly, I think the film is saved by the busybody character <laughs> who kind of dominates the early part of the film. It's such like a great character. Yeah. Well, when she, when like, she meets her on the carriage or whatever, yeah. the movie like kind of comes alive at that point. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I agree. I Whereas like, the... no, go ahead. Bergman's kind of just like a, you know, boring, like very upper class person who's going to like singing school because her aunt yeah. was a singer and she's yeah. a singer too. Yeah. 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 So it's just like, I don't know if I like really care about this character. But then, like, when the like, you know, the gaslighting happens, like, then, then she becomes like much more compelling. Yeah. Right. I think yeah. part of the idea was to be able to show her transformation to character. So she's kind of a blank slate at the beginning, and I agree it's kind of plain. Yeah. But then you see her get to much like greater degrees of acting as her character starts to lose her mind. And that was compelling to see, right? Yeah. Well, cause, but we don't just see her going crazy. We certainly see that, or like yeah. almost going crazy. But we also see her like figure it out. And like those moments at the end where like Bergman puts it together mm-hmm. and then like there's like a rage. Yeah, to that figure that she's she, like very threatening. At, yeah, in that, but she like, really final scene. She nails like she really yeah. does well. And I think what what you can kind of characterize or conceptualize this movie is almost like a coming of age story, mm-hmm. right? Because I think the way that she's portrayed 
in the early portions of the film, like when she's leaving London in the opening scene, uh, and when she's in Italy, like running off with the Charles Boyer character, she's very young. She comes across as like a girl. That's, I read that she's supposed to be like 13 or 14 in the intro scene, okay. which doesn't, like, she doesn't really look like that. No, she but. doesn't, but so that would make her like 23 or 24 yeah. or something like that. Which makes sense then. Well, the yeah, which does yeah. make sense, where it's Charles Boyer character, the Charles Boyer character is, you know, visibly older, like yeah. much older than, than she is. And I, I think what we see is not just her coming to terms and ending this abusive relationship, but also maturing. Mm -hmm. We're seeing her grow up and become an adult person and become confident in herself. Right, her, exactly. Her own senses. Yeah, and like that transformation, I think, was really compelling from from Bergman. Like that, that, mm -hmm. that was well spotted. What really got me was there were very brief moments where she showed genuine joy and happiness mm -hmm. in the midst of this torture and in the midst of all her anguish. And those were really affecting because you see like how wonderful she could be and yeah. how nice yeah. it is to see I, her happy. She had a few genuine smiles there like when he said they're going to go to the theater as mm -hmm. a surprise, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's so nice to see her so excited and happy and then he immediately like pulls the rug out and you see her go back to like her portrait self. It's, it's terrible. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it really makes you feel for her. Well, and again, a credit to the writers then because mm -hmm. that is a technique that abusive husbands use Mm. still right like that it's this withholding of affection and then you offered a tiny amount of affirmation or of some reward and you, you take it back again like that's an abuse technique that is apparently as old as time and that they they spotted here again very likely before we really had any kind of professional mm -hmm. research on the nature of abuse and abusive relationships and still like that that feels very authentic that, that, yeah. that feels like what it is um and yeah, Bergman nails it there. Like her, yeah, her sheer joy is just—it's it's gutting when that is yeah. pulled away. Yeah, she she was great. Mm -hmm. What do we think of um, uh, the set? Because uh, this movie was nominated for like seven Oscars or something, like a lot of Oscars. It didn't win that many, but one of the ones it won was for its set design, um, and, oh, yeah. and very likely the um, the house itself. And I remember being struck by that when we when we cut to it. Um, so did mm. that. Did anyone else notice that? Did that feel Oscar worthy? <laughs> I mean, the details of the house are great. Yeah, and I, like it's set up well when the like small painting disappears. Yeah, and so like in that scene, they're like about to go out on the town, and then he like notices a painting is missing, mm -hmm. and you can see it like the weathering around the painting mm -hmm. like leaves the like square on the wall. And she's, like, so devastated by that. But it works so well because, like, the scene is designed to, like, communicate that really well. Right, yeah. It yeah. serves the story. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And what I was struck by is, like, when they first enter the house, right? Yeah. Like, after they return to London from Italy. Yeah. And it just is, like, the, there's all these shadows everywhere and, like, uh, these imposing, like, objects of some sort that you can't really identify. All the ants, like, old furniture. And yeah, stuff. that's, like, dominating this space. Yeah. And it's, like... It, it looks haunted. Like who? Yeah, who knows up. what's in here? Who knows what you're, you're going to find? And it's so unsettling and creepy. Yeah. And it's like, oh, they're going to live here. <laughs> People are going to inhabit this space. Like that doesn't seem like a good idea. Yeah. Um. So that I thought was was very was very striking as well mm -hmm. because like apparently in the stage play the whole thing happens in the house. Oh, like, okay. It, it never. Well, cuts. It makes sense. They don't really do much else with the other scenes. Right. Like yeah. all the stuff at the Tower of London was added for the movie. Yeah. Um, when they go to like the that music. 
performance at the I ladies' house. That was a very effective scene, though. Yeah, that's a new one. That was not in the play. That was for the movie. Um, so yeah, that scene worked too. The the really. watch moment. That was one scene where yeah. I actually rewinded because I remembered him. They show him putting <laughs> his watch into his pocket, mm-hmm. uh, and then he gets kind of like a smirk. Right. Yeah. And yeah. then they go later and his watch is missing and I'm like, wait, was there a scene in between that I missed where he like slips the watch somewhere? Right. But there isn't. Yeah, you have you have video footage you can go back to. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I traced it back. They don't show it on screen. They just show him putting his watch in his pocket and he kind of smirks. He, mm-hmm. he he figures out a plan. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't show him actually do it. Right. And and that it like he set up so much to get to that moment too, right? Like cuz all he has to say is his watch is missing. And, like, he doesn't even have to make an accusation. He just has to, like, oh, no. state it. And, like, that's enough for her to just break down. And it's, it's such a demonstration of control yeah. and power and, you know, useless cruelty. Um, it, it, yeah, it's, it's a powerful scene. I, I agree. That worked well. Yeah. yeah. I, so, late in the movie, I think in, like, kind of the two-third mark, they, mm-hmm. like, the guy... The inspector guy, he like figures out. He like basically figures it out. Right. And it's not really a complicated scheme. Yeah, and he says no. that there's this guy, and the guy has like a wife in Poland, mm-hmm. meaning that her husband is actually like married to somebody so, else in right. Poland. Um, so then they, uh, he like he goes he like sneaks into the house and like talks to her and like convinces her that mm-hmm. she's like not crazy and then after and he like meets the maid and the maid like is hesitant doesn't really let him in but mm-hmm. he, he like kind of pushes faster and then he he leaves and he's like I'm gonna go like take care of this right and then the husband like comes down through the attic and uh you know which is unexpected because we expect him to like go back around the house right and then they turn to the maid and they're like. He was here, right? This this inspector, because mm-hmm. she's like she's like kind of trying to be like, no, like this happened, like I'm not crazy, right? And the maid is like, no, nobody was here, yeah. And to, I, at that moment, I was like, wait, is the maid his wife? Oh, and he's, oh is, <laughs> is she in on the scheme? Yeah, I, was I didn't like, think about that. I was like, this is such a sweet twist, <laughs> like, and uh, no, it just turns out that. She was she was just like helping the husband, I guess. Right. Well, because I mean, not really. I don't they, yeah, know. they they they, Did they uh, explain uh, that. Yeah, I was very confused by the maids. Uh... I think the they can't really show, you know, explicit flirting in the nineteen forties. Okay. Um, but there no, are no. It's the older maid. Oh yeah, you're right. Was it? Yeah, she multiple yeah. times says she didn't see anyone when someone definitely showed up, and they said she was deaf, but like she interacted with the sheriff directly. Yeah. Okay. So maybe she was just intimidated by the husband as well. Perhaps. That's yeah. what it, I guess it was. But so, I was like, I thought that what they were gonna do then was they get the husband, but then the the maid does something. The, the maid like ends up winning, like getting the jewels and <laughs> like okay. killing her or something. See, what I that thought, would be like that would be tight. Like, what I yeah. what I thought the twist was gonna be yeah. was that the maid was just telling the truth. And that she actually did fabricate. Oh, the, like she that, was just like having terrible. a hallucination, and that the guy oh, wasn't no. actually there. I thought that's where that, that was going. I wouldn't be able to handle it that. Gone that way too. <laughs> I, I like, can't even think of something so evil. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh shit, that's that's a hell of a twist. Um, so I thought, yeah, that's where I thought that was going. But no, it turns out that no, he was it's just, he was an actual cop, and he did yeah. the thing. Um, so the, the and that I think brings us to what I think was the. the uh, only real disappointment I had with this movie, um, which was the end. I, th- I felt like they pulled yeah. the punch at the end. Um, 
because the way abuse actually functions, it's it's not that the abuser is act after some material good or like wants your old aunt's jewels <laughs> that are stashed somewhere in the attic. They're just psychopaths. They're just yeah. abusive, like power hungry assholes. Just an ego trip. And I feel I, right, exactly. And I think that this movie kind of pulled the punch there by making it not about him, just like his ego and his need to you know have somebody under his control, and it made it actually about some material end for the husband, which is, I, I don't think that's how abuse typically functions, um, and I think that that kind of softens this movie a little bit in a way that I found uh, dishonest and unsatisfying, um, but to me, that's that, that was my only problem with it. It, it does a happily ever after thing, right? Like, right. Uh, she's like, not, like, she's actually fine, Yeah. And they arrest One him thing and, that bothered yeah. me a little bit was that <clears throat> she, it feels like she has very little agency for herself throughout the movie. Mm -hmm. So obviously most of the way through she's being abused by her husband, but in the end the only way she gets out of it is this other yeah. man comes in and tells her the actual truth um, to help her break free. She doesn't end up you know, having confidence in herself, uh, her own understanding of the actual truth, which yeah. she kind of almost figured out immediately. Right. Um, this guy has to come in and save her from it. She, she did need like another person to verify that Something like, was happening. That's certainly It true. didn't need to be the like sort of super inspector guy, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Who also happens to be a very eligible bachelor. <laughs> yes. and yeah, and they kind of give a glance at each other. At the yeah, end. right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> There's another dude. Yeah, he's he's a good one. So yeah, no, I agree. I think that that if like if this movie had been made today, like that would that wouldn't fly. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I do think, think it's a fair ground for criticism. I do think the whole jewel heist thing makes for an interesting and fun like thriller element to it. Yeah. Like you mentioned the Hitchcockian nature of it before, yeah. and I wonder how a Hitchcock version of this 10 years in the future might have looked. I think he would have done a great job with it. I mean, Hitchcock was active making movies when this was made. So. I keep forgetting that. Yeah. Like he, but th this seems exactly like his kind of film. It, it does. Yeah. Apparently, I read somewhere that a lot of people mistakenly think it actually is a Hitchcock movie. It's shot like one. Yeah, it, yeah and the influence it's, it's not as like crisp as he might have mm -hmm. made things, but... Yeah, the influence is clear, yeah. I, I think. Um, again, great place and, to drive. He would have had yeah. Pete, like Peter Laurie as the husband or something. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that would be. Yeah. Well, he couldn't pull off. You know, everyone would immediately identify him as like a, a creepy abuser, right? <laughs> <laughs> that one would be it would be tough to pull over the the wool over the eyes. Was this supposed to have been like a twist back when the movie came out that the husband was evil? I don't know. I I don't know. I wondered that too. And yeah, I don't know if they sold the movie as like. You know what the plot is that the husband is like being an abuser. Yeah, or... I I also wondered that because um, it it's hard to tell from just the text, right? And it's also yeah. hard to tell from a modern perspective because we see this kind of stuff and it's like yeah. Well, yeah. I my problem going into this movie was that I already know the plot, the right. general plot. So you, I already know like what lens to view this guy with, mm -hmm. right? When you first see him, he might just. Like, kind of be like, you know, a handsome, romantic guy. Right. And you don't start seeing him start to crack until she reads the, the, his real name in that letter. And he shows that flash of violence and you're like, wait, yeah. something's wrong here. Maybe that's the cue. I, I think it, that might be it, actually. Like, that clues in the 1944 audience that this is a bad dude. Because that, that wasn't, you know, that was surprise, but it wasn't like a sincere surprise. It was surprise and fear. Mm -hmm. And like violence <laughs> and I think that yeah yeah that's probably the moment but like I if think. you go into this having seen 
having read the summary of the movie or knowing what it's about already, mm -hmm. uh, which you can't go in this movie without that these days. Right. Um, then you see like him surprising her when she wanted to like have that retreat alone at the very beginning of the movie as like kind of creepy. Yes. You see him like you know kind of goading her into moving back into the aunt's house, which she's haunted by as extremely creepy. I mean, it's already a little weird. Mm -hmm. But it's worse if you know who he is, right? Yeah. Although, I, one of the shots I remember from this movie is at the beginning, like, she exits the carriage. And we have the camera from inside the carriage looking out the little window there. Yeah. And his hand just kind of, like, shoots out and, like, grabs her. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, that is startling mm -hmm. and, like, unsettling. So I think there are, like, cinematic cues uh -huh. relative, and, like, music cues uh, relatively early on that this dude is up to something. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a good question, and I did wonder it myself. Like, what? Wh how much does the 1944 audience know about this going in? Um, what do you think? I, yeah, I don't know. You know? Okay. I don't know. I think, I think it's... I mean, it's a good story. <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah, well, and it, again, there was an earlier version of this, and there was a play. So maybe if you're sitting down in 1944, you're like, okay, I know what Gaslight's about, right? Like, I... I remember the other one. I remember hearing about it. Something like that. I don't know. Perhaps. Perhaps. I, I, I don't know. It's uh, also like World War II is raging, so you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 no one's uh, going to the movies. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. so. Uh, what do we think of uh, Angela Lansbury? Uh, we, we mentioned her a little bit here, but um, it, was that like too much of a comedy relief character? Did she kind of step on the toes of the busybody lady? Did it work? Like, how do, how do we, what do we think? I think she's good here. It's kind of the like salacious and mischievous, like. Yeah. Younger maid. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think what was effective was the way she interacted with Ingrid Bergman's character. Mm -hmm. uh, just because you can kind of see, like, kind of how awkward and strained their relationship is. Yeah. yeah. And you can see why Ingrid Bergman would suspect that, you know, the maid doesn't, that Nancy the maid doesn't like her. Um, you kind of see, like, the disdain on Nancy's face for her. But it might not be for the reasons that the husband tells Ingrid Bergman it's for. Right. Well, the setup where... Like he rings her in, yeah, and and she says, "Oh no, no, we don't need any, we don't need her for to do this ba very basic task." And then she shows up, and Boyer says, "You know, the woman of the house called you," and like That's she's so like, messed up. <laughs> that was oh like God. so insidious and like it, 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 so like clever in a in an awful way. It's like yeah, that, that reminds me of uh, one other moment that really got me was uh, oh I forget the exact nature of it, but she says. Oh, he's, he gives her the theater surprise, and she's like, mm -hmm. oh, my God, did I forget about that, too? It, and right. he's got his back to her, but you can see him, like, turn his head a little bit, like, he's about to admit that she wasn't forgetting. Right. But then he, like, lets her, like, kind of marinate in the mm -hmm. possibility that she'd forgotten this yeah. for a while before he admits that it's actually a surprise. Yeah. Which is so but good. he definitely turns his head there, like, he's, <laughs> like, plotting. Such a good choice from Boyer, too, yeah. to, like, do that almost, that almost reveal. Um so yeah, I thought that was great. Um, two, yeah, just very strong performances from the leads. Um, any uh, any closing thoughts on Gaslight? I think for its time, it, like it's a good film. Like it's very mm -hmm. engrossing mm -hmm. film. It works, and a lot of films in the forties still hold up that way. No, mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of films yeah. every year don't hold up very yeah, well, yeah, but yeah. I, like, it doesn't yeah. feel dated. I think is what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a modern other, other than like the very ending, which feels like a little storybook. Yeah, well, that mm -hmm. that feels like a like they're like the Hayes office got involved or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like yeah. somebody stepped in um, and said, "Oh no, we have to have a happier ending." Which she has to be married off at the end to the of course. to the cop or something. She like can't that. be single. She, yeah, so I, I wonder. I haven't read the 
the stage play. I wonder if it it does anything different. Yeah. Um, well, we know it does a couple things different, but I wonder if it ends any different. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know either. But yeah, um, it's it's a remarkably modern feeling film. Yeah, it's good. Mm -hmm. It's really good. Yeah, which I was surprised by. I, I was expecting like a, a kind of dodgy noir influenced thriller. Like I thought it would be like more of a history piece than an actual movie. And yeah. it wasn't. <laughs> like it still works. It still functions as cinema. Yeah. Um, which, you know, it's George Cooper, so of course it does. But, you know, great. Like that's that's good. Yeah. Um, uh, for me, I'd say like like I described before, it was it was a tough watch, mm -hmm. um, but I'd still I still say it's an important one just because of how detailed and perhaps realistic the depiction of emotional abuse is in yeah. this one. I, I guess I can't say if it's realistic or not, but it seems like something that could happen in real life. Yeah. Yes, um, and it seems important to be able to pay attention to those warning signs or what those actions look like. Yeah. Well, and I think it, it also articulates unintentionally that uh, this type of abuse is not a modern phenomenon. Yes. Right? Like that, that it, it so closely replicates how we, we see and hear about emotional abuse described today that we know this is not... That, that this is a pattern and that yeah. this is a pattern that has apparently been going on for a century plus probably very likely probably more than much that more yeah. yeah maybe since the dawn of man who knows mm -hmm. um so i think in that sense it's important as well yeah. to your point yeah all right cool well we'll be back in a moment with uh with things we've seen we'll see you then and welcome back to things we've seen this is a segment where we discuss more recent films that we have seen uh, in theaters or at home on various streaming services. Uh, Charles, what have you seen this week? So I saw Yesterday on okay. an airplane. This is on that movie. Airplane. Yeah, it's an airplane movie. Um, this was that movie where um, something weird happens and basically the Beatles never existed. Right. Except one guy who is a musician, he's like a struggling <laughs> musician, uh, still remembers all their music. Uh, so he starts to replay their music and gains a lot of success because people still like their songs even if it didn't come from the Beatles. Um, and in doing so, he has to struggle with the sudden fame and mm -hmm. you know how he interacts with uh, the people from his small UK town that he's leaving behind. Um, and in the end, he decides to um, give away uh, all of the songs like for free to okay. the internet. Uh, and goes the back. The opposite of what the Beatles did. Right, and then yeah. goes back um, to um, be with his like childhood sweetheart, who he's been like kind of in and out with throughout the movie. Sure. Uh, who he kind of lost touch with because of all this increased fame from playing the Beatles music. And for a movie with such an interesting premise, I thought it took the most boring and lazy <laughs> like story plot that it possibly could have for it. Um, because like I mean, it's a it's a pretty novel like plot line to to it's, introduce to play to with, yeah. right? But then they turn it into a very very basic rise to fame story. It's just as basic as possible. He he gets famous because of this music, and then he loses touch with the people that he loves the most, and he has to find a way to reconcile that. That's it. That's basically That's... the whole movie. That's not interesting. Right, yeah. So <laughs> That movie's been made already. Yes. That's been made a million times, and that's the, that's the best they could do with this one. 
Um, so that felt kind of disappointing. It felt like you could have done something with That's the weird things. premise that they have. Because right, they, they lean into the weirdness of it, sure. right? Just like one day, all the power cuts out, right? Yeah. And it's a nice little sequence. They have the day in the life like build up mm. sound effect. Mm -hmm building up to all the power cutting out and he gets in like a bike accident and he goes like in the song <laughs> and like if you're a Beatles fan that's pretty awesome right I like that song yeah I mean it might be their best one yeah. um, but he wakes up uh, after the bike accident everybody's forgotten the Beatles but like other random things have disappeared as well but it's never explained what happens like why that happened I mean, fine like you don't need yeah to, yeah. It, yeah it's kind of funny right, right. <laughs> it's got like this sort of goofiness to it where Throughout the movie, he'll randomly discover something's gone, and he'll Google it, and it'll give some other result because okay. it doesn't exist sure. anymore. So, like, he Google's Coke, and it, you get a result about cocaine, or like okay. cigarettes are gone for some reason. Mm. Um, different things like that. It's weird. Um, you'd think it would have a bigger effect on the world. I was gonna say that affects a lot of like, you know, yeah, seventeenth-century colonialism. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so it's weird. Um, but those parts in the movie were kind of fun. Obviously, I like the Beatles, so they have some nice musical numbers that have Beatles music in it. Um, there's kind of a nice section that they don't really do a whole lot with. The theme in this movie, I guess, is not doing a whole lot with it, <laughs> where he meets with John Lennon, who's just a normal guy because he's not in the Beatles and he doesn't get shot. That's in poor taste. <laughs> Well, <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it was fine, um, okay. but again, just a nice concept done in the most boring way possible, and I I do find it funny to imagine how much someone who doesn't like the Beatles would hate this movie, <laughs> because it presents the Beatles, Beatles as this kind of like great like contribution to mankind sure. essentially. It's like calculus, basically. Yeah, yeah. Where they they talk about it's there to be discovered. Because like yeah. he plays the Beatles music and everybody is immediately enraptured by it. Right. Which, um I don't know if that yeah, I don't know. Go. Yeah. And Go like there's like two other random people who also haven't forgotten the Beatles and they meet him later on and they're introduced as being kind of like suspicious or in or like weirded out by what's going on. They're trying to out him. But it's revealed that they're just so happy that he's playing the Beatles music so they can hear it again Whatever. because the Beatles have disappeared. <laughs> and I thought that was a hilarious like twist to that. And then the ending is just like it's great that he's like released this music because everybody should be able to enjoy the Beatles music. And I thought that was really funny. Okay, like, that's sure. like what the ending is. Um, as someone who likes the Beatles, like I mean, it I wasn't like too bad for me. But if if you don't. That would be really great. Have you seen um, the Mark Wahlberg movie Rockstar? No, it's, no. it sounds very similar in yeah. that he's he's like a cover band guy that like lives in Pittsburgh, and then he gets the opportunity to like <laughs> sing for the band that he like covers, sure. and then yeah. he's able he ends up like taking over the lead singer spot because they need like a lead singer. It's basically like the Def Leppard story. Okay, um, and it's just a movie without conflict like yeah at all like there's no there's no like choice made in the movie he just that's like some, yeah gets in the band and then he's more famous and like that's great has, like there's it causes some small problems in his life but mm -hmm. but then he's like rich and famous and that's like, like oh yeah. wait my problems are gone yeah okay yeah. and then he's able to stay with his childhood sweetheart who's played by uh jen anison mm -hmm. sure yeah that i mean the, like the character in this one yeah. does have to make uh, some choices like he gives up the prospect of wealth and fame at the end That's what happens when he gives away the music. He can't make the money off the record deals or whatever okay. So that he can go back to fine his small town life or whatever um, Yeah, 
Also, the lead character is, uh, I think he's uh, an Indian, Indian. actor, yeah. which, I mean, is pretty cool. And it's funny to see that they'll still accept his music despite him not being a white dude, <laughs> right? It's you a think fantasy. that in the real world, if he's <laughs> yeah. like playing the Beatles music, you know, it'd be hard to get some recognition because of how the real world is. Yeah, because of racism. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't met anybody under 40 who likes this movie. And I haven't met anybody over 40 who didn't like this movie. I think this yeah. is, for my experience with this one, is that it divides very starkly along the original oh, yeah. lines. Yeah. <laughs> like, that, that's all it is. Um, and, you've, you know, this theory holds up with, yeah. with your review here. Um, I'm not going to watch it. It's watch it. probably not worth your time. Yep, no. I agree. Um, yeah, it looked pretty bad. Yeah, so I'm glad you did that for us. Thank you. That's a, that's a good. <laughs> well, like the quirk, like there's a lot of potential in the quirk of the film. Exactly. Right. And and they, they do well. not. Oh, and uh, it's directed by Danny Boyle, so you get a few Dutch angles in there at the beginning of the movie because yeah, he can't not do them. Yeah, with no context or. There was no that. reason to do them, and he did yeah, it. Yeah, right, there it is. It was funny. And of course, of course, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, all right, Cross. What did you see? Um, I saw. I saw this movie that's that's in theaters right now um, called The Color Out of Space. Oh, the Nick Cage one. Yes, okay. it's a Nick Cage film. I think more importantly, actually, it's a Richard Stanley film. Who's the director? Um, he's a really interesting guy. He um, he's I believe he's an Aussie. Um, he made a couple of independent films in Australia that were like well received. Sure, um, they were. I think. Full sci-fi films, um, but weird and like very progressive for their time. Mm -hmm. Like had interesting um, kind of like pro proto feminists like in filmmaking, uh, sure. Uh, like underpinnings that made them like very interesting. Um, and then he got his big Hollywood break, and he got assigned to or he got the script for um, the Island of Doctor Moreau. Okay. And he uh, went to shoot the island Dr. Moreau, and every possible thing went wrong. All this has come up before, has it? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, he there's a, there's a, a documentary right. uh, about this, um, and it's it's really worth watching. It's a very interesting story. Total disaster. He gets pulled off the film very early in mm -hmm. the production, um, but snuck back onto the set and like <laughs> it, like hid in makeup like on the set. Um, so he's actually in the movie, which is funny. <laughs> um, that is funny. Uh, the set got hit by a hurricane and cool. was destroyed, so they had to rebuild it. Uh, the actors, including oh. Val Kilmer, were impossible. Um, and everything goes wrong. So his Hollywood career is basically over at that mm -hmm. point. Um, and then 20 years go by. And then he got drafted to make this film, like an indie cut of mm -hmm. this film. Um, and, uh, because Nick Cage just works constantly, um, <laughs> he'll do anything. Yeah, he really will. And he, he got this film, um, and this is coming off the back of Mandy from, uh, the previous year, which was very good. Um, and there's a lot of resonance with Mandy in it's kind of like stylization. Um, so this is a HP Lovecraft story. Okay. This film, The Color Out of Space is an HP Lovecraft story. Um, and it's told pretty straight from the like Lovecraftian uh, retelling of it. Um, and so what happens is there's uh, Nick Cage and his family kind of like live in rural Massachusetts, and a comet uh, or a meteoroid falls like on their farm, and then everything starts like evolving. Oh. And 
Um, so that's annihilation. <laughs> yes, okay. uh, annihilation is actually very much influenced by the H.P. Lovecraft story, sure. Color Out of Space. Cool. Okay. Um, it is annihilation essentially. So that's probably why they sounded familiar then, because they probably mentioned it for annihilation. Yeah. So there's all these like sort of horrific uh, evolutions of things that kind of like creep in into the movie. Um, and just like in Annihilation, the the element of time starts mm. to uh, be displaced, and so the characters uh, at times become possessed and then don't know where they are in time. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's like a lot of weird shit happens. There's like body horror, and um, and then it it's very much like a a B indie horror movie by. Mm -hmm. It's cool, um, and it looks cool, and everything turns purple because cool. there's this like kind of like unseeable color that kind of seeps into things, and that um, is that color purple. Well, we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but in the movie, it's depicted as a like sort of pink purple like mist that sure. sort of like takes over everything, um, and each member of Nick Cage's family is kind of like affected by it in in very different ways, and. Um, yeah, it's it's cool film. I wouldn't say it's like a great film, mm -hmm. but I think for just like weird independent filmmaking, especially after seeing Mandy, if you saw Mandy and like liked Mandy, you would like this a lot. And um, it's good to see Nick Cage like still doing things that are good and things that are weird, and he's good for things that are weird. He's a weird dude. Um, and he. You know, he does the classic kind of like Nick Cage goes crazy in a film thing. <laughs> um, his performance from Mandy, he's like a very stoic performance. This is a very like active Nick Cage performance, which is where he's great. Mm -hmm. Going full Nick. Um, yeah, you, you get a full Nick here. <laughs> um, and it's it's weird. Uh, it's shot like definitely on a set, so it makes everything seem like very otherworldly. Mm. Because they kind of like recreate nature because they live in like a rural area, but it all like looks fake because it's like a set. Yeah. Um, so I like that element of it as well. Um, Tommy Chong is in it. He plays this mm. kind of like kooky guy that like lives on their property and he's sure. great. Um, there's a, a, a hydrologist who's like um, coming out to the land to, they're doing like a public works uh, where they're like gonna make a reservoir in like the area and he's like testing the water and he's the sort of the first person that notices that mm -hmm. like things are going wrong um, That guy's really Played very well and I think has a lot of like good stuff to like come out of this So I think it's good like there's there's like good stuff that's like happening mm -hmm. in this movie Not a perfect movie at all, but it's sure. like it's cool. All right, right on. Yeah, cool And I think for like Lovecraft heads, which I think there are a lot of people out there I think this is the closest that we'll get to, like, a, a depiction, like, a straight depiction of, like, a Lovecraft story sure. that's, like, done well enough. Yeah, rather than, yeah. like, an interpretation. Right, okay. yeah. It's, it's pretty straight retelling of the story, but done well. Okay. And I think it's, I think it's good that people are doing that, because he's, like, such an interesting writer and so influential. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Right on. What's the call again? The Color Out of Space. The Color Out of Space. It's right. been made a few times, um, and this one's only really playing in like independent theaters right, right. now. Um, but it's it's cool to see it on the big screen. There's a lot of like cool stylization of the movie that I think makes it worth seeing in theater. Mm -hmm. Okay. But, yeah. Right on. And I, it's great to see Richard Stanley working in. I, I think he's a really interesting guy, and I hope he's able to 
keep making movies. Well, if we buy tickets to this yeah. one, they will. Yeah. yeah. The showing that I went to is sold out, so. Good. And, and it's been out for... I mean, people like Nick Cage, right? And people like Mandy. Like, there, there are people that are going to show up for every Nick, weird Nick Cage thing. And people really like uh, Lovecraft, Lovecraft, too. Yeah. So there's a lot of, like, you know, overlapping audiences yeah. here. But, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Cool. Uh, all right. I saw a movie called The Assistant. Um, this one uh, came out a couple, two, three weeks ago. Um, it, it, there's essentially one character in it, <laughs> one character that has screen time. Um, it's, uh, Julia Garner plays a, an assistant to a film executive, film producer, who is very obviously modeled after Harvey Weinstein. Um, the premise of the movie is essentially just a, a day in her life. So it opens with her getting picked up by a car like at, before the crack of dawn in Queens. She's driven into Manhattan. She shows up at this office before anybody else. And it is really just focused on like the banality of her work. <laughs> so she's just like answering phone calls and cleaning up after her, her obnoxious bosses and stuff like that you gradually realize that the person that is her boss is like a, a Harvey White, an unnamed Harvey Weinstein figure. Um, throughout the day, a handful of young actresses or aspiring actresses will show up at the office and like be escorted to a hotel and then the guy is out of reach for several hours mm. or like will have a meeting late at night with the, with the Harvey Weinstein figure and nobody you know, exactly knows what's going on in there. Um, the the closest thing to a climax in the movie is when the Julie Garner character, who is the assistant, um, decides to go to HR with her suspicions. Um, and when she gets there, she realizes she, she really has nothing to report. That she says, I, I met with this young girl from the Midwest. We took her to a hotel, and then I went back to the office. And, like, she knows what's happening there because mm -hmm. everybody knows what's happening there. But she has nothing to actually report and the guy that she's reporting to has every incentive to protect the, the Harvey Weinstein figure. So the movie is really just focused on... So, like, the Harvey Weinstein situation presents us with, like, two major questions, right? One of those questions, and perhaps the more obvious question, is how did this get revealed, right? Like, who was it that came forward? What motivated them to do that? What, how did they finally break? And then open up this dam of accusations. The more subtle and perhaps more interesting question is the question that this movie asks, which is how did this keep happening? Mm -hmm. And that's really what the movie's about. Like, there's no exceptional event in this film. It's just a day in the life of this assistant, and you see exactly how this is covered up and ignored, uh, you know, just in, in its banality throughout this, you know, 85-minute movie. It's very brief. Um, so it's low action. There's barely any conflict. There's not that much dialogue. Um, and really, like, not that much happens, but like once you realize what the film is doing, it is chilling to <laughs> just see like, oh, this would here's a day of this. This happened for three decades mm -hmm. or whatever it was, um, and in that sense, it was it was very effective um, as kind of this art piece. Uh, the lead, the uh, Garner character, um, has a tough job in that she like is on screen basically the entire movie, has very few lines, spends a lot of it like doing dishes. <laughs> and stuff like that but it still manages to like hold your attention and like keep you there for the 85 minute runtime. Um, so I don't think either of you would like this movie to be honest <laughs> not that much goes on but I liked it and I thought sure. it was interesting um, and if these kind of like very understated quiet art films are something that appeals to you um, this this might be worthwhile mm -hmm. a, overtly a feminist text like it's it's very clearly that um, and not loud in any way but it, it, it's still just for me, very, again, chilling. 
um, in its depiction of how easy it is for this to happen over and over and over again, day after day after year after year. Um, so, so that worked for me. Um, it's called The Assistant. Um, it's doubtful that this gets a wide release, but it'll probably be streaming you know, before long on mm. Prime or something. Um, so if, if this strikes your fancy, um, go and check it out. It's, it's worth the you know, hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, your pick next, Charles. What do we got? Yes, so I have not seen Amelie. Oh, okay, great. This movie's fun. I've heard so much about it. Yeah, no, it's yeah, I'll be it. interested to see what, you, what holds you, up. Yeah, yeah, me too. It's been a while since I've watched it, but my memory of it is that it's just like this charming little twee movie. Same. Yeah, which is fine. I like that stuff. Okay, cool. So uh, thank you for listening, everybody. If you're liking the show, please tell people about it. Comment, like, subscribe. It really does make a difference, and we do notice. Um, we are on Facebook and iTunes and SoundCloud and Google Play. And we'll be back next week for Amelie. Thank you.